RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Well, on two occasions, you've heard from Dr. Glenn Davies from Talpo, and uh, he's talked about reversing type 2 diabetes, um, helping with your heart health. Last time we talked, he gave us his recipe for the reinvention of our health system. That was really interesting and got a lot of comment and feedback, and thanks to everybody who engaged in that. Now Glenn is back on Wednesday mornings on a regular basis with a new kind of health feature, and we're looking for a name, and Glenn, good to see you again, and uh, I'm excited about us doing this now because it's going to be great information that people can use in their everyday lives, improve and maintain their health. What could be better than that? Yeah, thank you, Paul. I'm excited about it as well, and and we do need a, a good name. Um, so far, we've come up with Health Hacks. I don't know what you think about that, but what we're going to look at, we're just going to explore some of the issues that when you dig a little bit deeper, you find that perhaps the science isn't quite as conclusive as we first thought. Uh, you know, some of the things that we're going to look at, we're going to look at vitamin D, uh, we're going to look at um, cholesterol, is it the killer that we think it is, or is that a bit of a myth? Good. You can look at supplements. Um, do they just make expensive urine, or is there <laughs> value in there? Um, I want to have a look at gout as well, because I think some of the diet advice we're looking at, uh, or, you know, we've been giving people might be a little bit wrong. i got a couple of mates who have gout, by the way, so I'm going to tell them that that's coming up. Yeah, yeah. So those are kind of the topics just off the top of my head. Uh, and hopefully some of the listeners might uh, have some questions that will kind of um, suggest the topic for us. Yeah, or ask for, I mean, you don't want to be giving out too many free consultations. I understand <laughs> that. But, I mean, that's what we're here for. So any questions, you'll welcome them and you'll deal with them as you can. And that's inbox at Reality Check Radio if you want to send them through and then we'll we'll send them through to uh, Glenn. Um, after we've received a bunch, we'll send them through and he can take it from there. I quite like health hacks. That's hacks um, coming from the sort of like the hacking a computer or hacking the body or doing something yeah. different with something. That's the context, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, Not old hack. <laughs> no, so health hacks, unless we come up with a better suggestion. It's a working yeah. title. Let's, let's say it's a work. And you can vote on that, folks. You can vote on that as well. Okay, now I think you're going to ask me a question about this time of the day. What is it? Yeah, so we're going to talk about breakfast today. Is it the most important meal of the day or is it just clever marketing from the cereal industry? So I wanted to ask you, Paul, have you had breakfast this morning? Not as yet. In fact, um, it would be more accurate to say I don't really, I don't really have breakfast if you're talking about this time um, you know, of the day for eating no i don't i tend to the first thing i eat is usually around 11 in the morning okay. or later but i do drink two or three coffees is that all right it's excellent <laughs> as long as you're not putting sugar in them no i'm not no i'm okay. not but excellent. i used to wait on i used to eat breakfast it was it was the first thing i did i'd get up and i'd go and you know bread in the toaster and and whatever else and I, I, we were taught at school that breakfast means break fast, and you're supposed to, you're supposed to break it. You're supposed to get up and eat. But since I have known more, and actually since hearing you as well in there, I've, I've sort of, I'm skipping it now. Yeah. Hey, so before we talk um, specifically about break fast, 
Um, I just want to talk about nutrition in general. You know, I don't think breakfast is the most important meal of the day, but I think nutrition is the most important task of the day. Healthy nutrition turns on hormones. It controls biochemistry. It controls physiology. It's important for our mental health, our energy, uh, for getting the vitamins and minerals. So I think it really is worthwhile concentrating on nutrition and making sure that every meal we have is a super meal. So every meal that we eat is nutritious, whole food, and is going to nourish our body. So nutrition is the most important task of the day. Um, so let's look specifically at breakfast. So breakfast is breaking the fast. And what's good about fasting? So what's good about not eating? And there's two important words here, autophagy and apoptosis. Ooh. So, okay, so autophagy is when we replace damaged cell components and apoptosis is when we replace full damaged cells. Now, the, we actually replace 40 to 70 billion cells every day. So 40 to 70 billion cells are removed and recycled every day. And when does that happen? That happens when we're fasted. It doesn't happen when we eat. When we eat, we actually replace those 40 to, seven, to 70 billion cells. So the function of fasting, of not eating, the science of not eating, is that that allows our body to clean out damaged or malfunctioning cells, even cancer cells, are cleaned out during that time. And as we get older, we need more time for that process to occur. So as we get older, we need to be looking at extending the fasting window and reducing the eating window. So there's two important topics that come from that. One is intermittent fasting and the other is time-restricted eating. So intermittent fasting basically means what you're doing, delaying the first meal of the day until 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock. And a lot of people that eat their first meal of the day around 12 will actually uh, only eat their second meal at six and they'll eat two meals a day. So yep. that's two meals a day. But there's another concept, which is time-restricted eating, where people still have their three meals, but they move them into a shorter eating window. So they might eat 11, four and seven, for example. Now, that's time-restricted eating, and both of those are extending the fasting window. So those are important topics, and that's when the miracle of cell cleaning and recycling happens. I have to say, that figure that you gave, what was it, 70 billion cells per day Yeah, um, sort of managed? That's incredible. It's extraordinary, isn't it? You know, and, and we don't really have a concept of that, number unless I guess you're in the American Treasury eh? but you know for <laughs> us that's a that is a massive number but you know some of those cells will be cancer cells you know some <laughs> of those cells will be yep. if we don't remove them are going to get us into trouble it's just the machine trying to imagine the machinery of that management working and it I guess it's all networked and coordinated it, the kind of knows which ones well I suppose they identify themselves but yeah that's truly stunning sorry to interrupt carry on all right. Now, so, so when we talk about um, intermittent fasting, this concept of 16-8 that we've talked around, that means that you have 
an eight-hour eating window and a 16-hour fasting window. So the other important aspect of this is to have your last meal of the day a little bit earlier. You know, we don't want to be eating biscuits and ice cream and a, a, a Milo before bed. We want to eat our evening meal and then stop. And a really nice concept as well is eat during daylight hours, um, you know, because circadian rhythm is important here. Um, now, there's another important concept here, which is called hormesis. Hormesis, our body is designed to experience short, sharp, stressful events. We're not designed to experience chronic stress. And fasting is a short, sharp stress that seems to be good for the body. Chronic stress is really terrible for the body. And that's probably a topic we'll cover in the future. But there seems to be advantage in these minor stresses like um, fasting. So hormesis, that's another important topic. Now, that, I did want to say, sorry to interrupt again, but would that have an evolutionary origin? I mean, is that how humans kind of had to operate before we had the, you know, the world we have today, where, where that really was the pattern of life? And that's really important because let's say you and I are cavemen and we're, we're sharing a, a cave. and um, Flatmates. Every, yeah, we're, we're cavemates. <laughs> And we, um, we go out at midday every day and we chase down animals in the hot sun. Um, we've run about a half marathon. Eventually the animal, the antelope sort of falls over. We um, pick it up and we've, we've run a half marathon. We walk back to the cave. Now, when you think about that amount of effort, I doubt that people were eating three or six times a day. You know, yeah. I think they were eating infrequently and no one knows for sure, but, you know, the likelihood is they weren't eating six meals a day because it was damn hard to get food, you know. So, so yes, yeah. I think that's what happened, yeah. Mm. Now, I do, I do want to say fasting, I believe, is for adults. It's not for children. It's probably not for teenagers. It's not for pregnant and breastfeeding uh, women. It's not for people with um, disordered eating attitudes or eating patterns you know but I think we're talking about adults particularly ones who have health issues they're wanting to solve I do want to talk about the longest fast in human history so um, back in 1973 Mr AB he turned up to a Scottish hospital he spoke to uh, Dr Fleming and Dr Stewart and he went Dr Fleming Dr Stewart I'm a fat bastard I want you to keep me here in hospital until I'm skinny. And, and that's exactly what they do. That they did. They kept them there for, get this, for 382 days. He stayed in hospital, which in itself is a miracle because now you can't even stay in hospital for four <laughs> hours after having a baby. But they kept him here there for 382 days. And in that time, he had water and vitamins only, nothing else. And during that time, he lost 125 kilograms. He left hospital, I think it's something like um, 82 kilograms. So if people are worried about missing breakfast, that's a long, long way from not eating for 382 days. So I yeah. don't think there's any major, the world's not going to fall apart if you miss a meal. But you, you need know? the water. You need the, you need the water and, um, and the vit why the, the vitamins? Yeah, the water and the vitamins and salt is the other important thing with, with fasting. Uh, just, just because the body needs vitamins and minerals, but if you've got a lot of stored fat, you don't need the energy. 
I think that's the point. I had an experience when I was in Auckland, and and that was about a year ago, where I decided that I would try a fast and see how long I could go. And you've just reminded me of that. I went for four days, mm-hmm. and I had never gone without food that long before, nowhere near it. One thing I noticed was um, the hunger pangs kind of went away mm-hmm. after about a day and a half, maybe the second day. Mm-hmm. And and towards the end of it, I was thinking, I could probably go even further. I didn't experience any downside of that I can remember of loss of energy. Of course, I was drinking water and doing that sort of stuff. And then, I, you know, finally relented after, I think it was exactly to the hour, four days. But one thing I noticed, I felt great yeah. for about a month after that. Yeah. Does that... Does that Correlate? Does that make sense? That is almost a universal experience. Um, the hunger oh, sensations tend to dissipate usually after two or three days. Um, people have extraordinary energy because they've learned how to use stored fat as a fuel. And the big points about this is that eating triggers fat storage and eating triggers inflammation. You know, so when you're not eating, there's no inflammation going on in the body. And that's, I think, one of the main reasons people feel so fantastic. Also having a easily available source of energy, which is stored fat. So, so yes, your experience is very, very typical of people who fast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, people thought I was mad, by the way. Yeah, and you're not, if you look through virtually every traditional culture and religion of the world, fasting is part of it. You know, uh, Ramadan example that was last month, I I think, if I understand correctly, you know, it's part of, I think, every culture. So things that have stayed around for thousands of years have generally got some benefit. Can I ask you also a question about sleep? Because when you're talking about that, you know, the body's mechanism for cleaning out cells, faulty cells, even cancerous cells, and needing, you know, that time to do it. Is that why sleep is important? Or one of the reasons, because yes, the longer you sleep, the more opportunity the body, I take it those mechanisms carry on working or probably use the time because the system's kind of shut down. Is that one of the reasons why getting a reasonable amount of sleep is so important? Absolutely, yes. And particularly for the brain, uh, particularly during sleep is when the cerebrospinal fluid washes these proteins and toxins that accumulate in the brain out of the brain particularly when you sleep. So that cell cleaning and recycling particularly happens for the brain while you sleep. Yeah. So the maintenance crew is at work. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, while you sleep and while you fast. Yeah, so don't don't eat while you sleep. That's a really important thing, eh? That would be a double whammy bad thing to do. Eating in your sleep. Sleep sleep eating is not a good thing. I suppose it does. It it has happened. Maybe It, It has happened. It's rare. It's rare. Yeah, it would be, yeah. <laughs> okay, but let's look at what are the arguments um, for breakfast. So we've, we've talked a lot about the arguments for not having breakfast. What are the arguments for breakfast? So they go, it kickstarts your day. Um, we deplete energy stores overnight and we need to replace the energy. Um, it helps us to avoid snacking during the day. It improves concentration and mental, mental performance and it replaces depleted uh, nutrients. So that's the arguments for it. And then I tried to have a look, what does the science actually say? And 
there's not lots uh, to be fair, but in 2016, there was a review of 10 studies. Uh, and the conclusion was limited evidence supporting or refuting the link between breakfast and obesity. So the science is a little bit unclear. So let's move on. If we are going to have breakfast, what should we have for breakfast? And I can tell you categorically what the cereal companies are telling us to have for breakfast is not what we should be having. So if you look at what we sort of in the low-fat era would have considered a healthy breakfast, it would have been bran flakes, skim milk, a banana, uh, a glass of apple juice, and a piece of Vogel's toast. Do you know that if you would eat that, that's equivalent to 16.3 teaspoon equivalents of sugar. Wow. 16.3 teaspoon mm. equivalents of sugar. That's like having friggin' dessert for breakfast, you know, so... I think, you know, this is breakfast the most important meal of the day or clever marketing from the cereal companies. I think there's some clever marketing from the cereal companies in there. You know, and, and I use bran flakes as an example. Most cereals are not as healthy as bran flakes. You know, if you look at Nutrigrain, who sponsors the New Zealand Ironman, um, Cocoa Pops, Corn Flakes, Rice Bubbles, you know, all of those things have more sugar than bran flakes. You know, so... I don't think having cereal for breakfast is a good idea. So if I was having breakfast, what would I have? You know, my sort of ideal breakfast is I'd have, I'd um, fry up a couple of mushrooms, probably in coconut oil. I'd, um, I'd sort of wilt, gently wilt some spinach. I would um, pop a couple of eggs on there and I'd put some um, homemade mayonnaise or hollandaise on there with some salt and pepper. And I reckon that'd be a perfect. Uh, Sounds breakfast. nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if I was going to have breakfast, but what a lot of people who use intermittent fasting do is that they will have coffee with cream or they'll have a bulletproof coffee, which is adding some fat to a black coffee and then sort of blending it with a stick blender. So you might put coconut oil, butter, MCT oil into the coffee and the reason for that is that the fat will give you energy, uh, help produce ketones, but it won't break your fast from a physiological point of view. So a lot of people will have a coffee with some form of fat in it if they're not going to have breakfast. But not Cocoa Pops, please. Not Nutri-Grain, <laughs> please. What about uh, Wheat Bix? Because oh, that's, that, that's a huge seller. And they, well, I don't know if they still because I don't watch mainstream media anymore and I'm, I don't know what the ad campaigns are, but it always used to be the All Blacks pushing that. You could be an All Black if you ate this sort of stuff. Uh, I, I know you mentioned a whole lot of brands. I, I'm assuming you can throw that brand in or that yeah. product in with the rest of them. Do we know? Yeah, if you, uh, if you are sort of ranking cereals, I, I certainly prefer um, Wheat Picks to some of those very high sugar ones. You know, right. it would be more like the... Um, you know, the, the brand cereals. Um, so, so definitely if you are going to have a cereal and certainly if you're giving it to your kids, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sort of thinking that it's one of the better ones, but if you're an adult, perhaps with pre-diabetes, with type two diabetes, uh, trying to lose some weight, I wouldn't be looking at cereals at all. I got another question for you because you mentioned kids earlier on, and then there, there have been big debates about kids turning up to schools without you know with an empty tummy basically i don't know if that's an empty tummy from the night before or just no breakfast or, or whatever 
And teachers would say that that created learning issues for the kids. And the ones who were fed did better. Is that is that credible? Given it that is. Yes, it, it, is? it is. It really is. And this conversation we're having at the moment, this is not for children. You know, children should be having breakfast. Yeah. Uh, definitely. And I think it applies to teenagers as well. You know, this is, we're really talking to adults who are developing that middle age spread. Uh, who may have been diagnosed with prediabetes, may have hypertension, uh, wanting to lose some weight, wanting more energy, wanting more clarity of mind. You know, that's what we're talking about. Um, yep. I don't want any listeners to think we're talking about children here. We're not. I want children to have breakfast. You've got to make them breakfast, folks. Okay, that's the message there. Um, so last chat that we had, or, or the two chats that we, we've had, you mentioned prediabetes condition. So if you're shoveling this stuff in in the morning and you mentioned the quantity of sugar that goes with it, you're really perpetuating that state, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. Um, if So the statistic is that 89% of American adults have some manifestation of insulin resistance or metabolic syndrome, uh, which can lead to prediabetes. And I'm, I haven't seen New Zealand statistics, but I suspect that they are getting up there. They won't be quite as bad, but they're getting there. So a majority of New Zealand adults will be facing this kind of issue. You know, so basically, if you've got that extra um, weight on the tummy, um, we're talking about this. Good thing is, try this, Paul, or, and listeners, if you walk into a wall and the first thing that hits is your stomach, you mm -hmm. probably have insulin resistance. Um, you know, so I don't know what should hit first, your nose, your, your feet, I'm not sure, but it shouldn't be your tummy that hits first. I don't think <laughs> it'll be my tummy, I, I'm happy to say. I don't think so. Probably the nose. Yeah, and I've tried it, and it's not my tummy either, which I'm pleased to say. But for a lot of people, it is. They're the people that should be considering um, perhaps missing breakfast and having their first meal of the day later. One of the concerns about this is uh, the argument is that slows your metabolic rate if you miss breakfast. And the point is that it's not actually true. You know, the scientific studies have shown you actually improve your metabolism by about 80 calories per day with intermittent fasting. You know, so we've scientifically proven or disproven that argument that missing breakfast slows your metabolic rate. In fact, it doesn't. It will accelerate your metabolic rate. So, you know, um, that, that argument miss breakfast and you slow your metabolism for the day, um, scientifically disproven. So, yeah. Hey, so where does that, where does that leave us? What's, what's the summary from this discussion? I think uh, I read a very good summary on this topic when I was doing a little bit of research for it. It's breakfast is the most important meal of the day for people who wake up hungry. And I think that's quite a good quote. That comes from Alexandra Johnston. It's, and my argument was, if you wake up and you don't feel particularly hungry, delay your breakfast. If you wake up starving, um, that tells me that you're probably someone who should have breakfast. Do, I think people, that's a pretty good do, do people actually wake up starving, though? Yeah. Do, um, do they? It's unusual. Most not, people, it hasn't happened to me, i got to say. No, and, and you know why? It's because you... Are fat adapted, you are able to metabolize stored fat easily. But I think if you wake up and you're truly hungry, 
um, particularly if you're lean, uh, then then breakfast is a good idea. Um, just expanding on that quote a little bit, um, while there is no conclusive evidence on what we should be eating and when, the consensus is that we should be listening to our bodies and we should eat when we're hungry. So for people that can trust their hunger signals, you know, people that are not um, carb addicted, for example, you know, I think eat when you're hungry, but it seems crazy to eat when you're not hungry. And I'm sure that the caveman wouldn't have had meal times. I think they would have eaten when they were hungry. You know, so that's what we should be doing. And for people who want to lose weight or people that have diabetes, definitely look at intermittent fasting and time-restricted eating. And then really another important thing, no snacking. Don't eat six times a day. You know, three times a day for adults should be minimum. Two times a day is great. And OMAD, one meal a day, excellent. But snacking, no, because each time you eat, you push up insulin and insulin is the fat storage hormone. So each time you push up insulin, you tell your body to store fat. So do that at a minimum three times a day, ideally two times a day. We would see huge increases in people's health, their lifespan and their health span if they followed just this simple piece of advice. And they gave a little bit of thought to breakfast. You know, am I hungry? Do I need it? Could I get by with... Um, a coffee with cream in it, for example, and could I delay my first meal of the day until lunchtime? Yeah. It just reminded me, I saw an interview with Cliff Richard once. Don't worry, there's a point to this. <laughs> and and it would only be a few years ago, and he's in his mid-80s now, and he's looking pretty damn good, and he's just about to go out on a tour again. And the question was, and it was sort of a throwaway question, but interesting answer. They asked him, you know, where where is your good health and longevity? come from because he's he's never stopped in all that time and he said one meal a day mm -hmm. one meal a day it, it stands for omad you know so i reckon one meal a day that's great uh two mad you know two meals a day yeah yep. but um three mad you know i think that's getting pretty stupid but eating six times a day that's just dumb yeah you know, well that, that's, that's really not, madness you're not feeling hungry there are you there'd be farther kind of reasons uh, I would imagine. I don't know, but if you're feeling hungry, do is there a condition that makes you feel hungry? Yeah, well, Labradors have it, don't they? You know, and, <laughs> and scientifically it's uh, leptin resistance. So leptin is the hormone or the neurotransmitter that, or the hormone actually, that tells you you're full. Um, and some people have resistance to that, um, to leptin, and so therefore they probably have the desire to eat more often than they need to from a physiological point of view. So, yeah, there's a whole lot of complexity and detail in this topic of hunger. But for people that can trust their hunger signals, uh, use it to tell you if you need breakfast or not. Yeah. You don't have to believe, though, what you've been told by the advertising is really the point. And, boy, has that been going for a long time. That's really useful information, especially for this time of the day. And I imagine a lot of uh, our listeners are in that sort of age range that that applies. And just to reiterate, not talking about kids here. All right. Well, that in in the fel the first health hacks program, that's pretty cool. What do you reckon we'll um, take a look at next week? Yeah. How how'd you like to look at vitamin D, the sunlight hormone? Because uh, 
we're seeing a lot of vitamin D deficiency now. And, and part of it, I think, comes from the slip, slop, slap message, which, you know, is, is, is a great message to prevent uh, skin cancers. But, you know, every time you do something, there's a potential consequence. And I think we're seeing a decline in vitamin D levels. And interestingly, vitamin D turns on and off over 200 genes. It is really important so i think we should have an in-depth look at vitamin d next week what do you reckon yeah i'd like to do that and there's been a lot of talk about it lately as well so people's awareness of of um the, the benefits of it and you can explain that i think are heightened at the moment so it'd be a good time to talk i was just thinking i don't i've never used sun lotion never or maybe once never and i've never had a problem well, I, I can see you. The, the uh, listeners can't, but I can see you. And you, you, you don't look all spotty and crusty to me. You look, you look particularly um, handsome and young. To tell you the truth, Paul. <laughs> likewise, Glenn. Likewise. <laughs> but um, I've had people say, you know, make sure you, you know, slip a slop, slap. I've never liked it, and um, I've always thought that the skin is a big organ and, and can absorb things. And whether I'm right or wrong, I don't know. But the point is, I haven't. I have never got more burnt than anyone else, and I've, but I would have got plenty of vitamin D, right? Yeah, and and these things that we're discussing, it's important not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, there's been a lot of really positive work done in skin cancer prevention. Uh, we're yeah, not, of course. we're not trying to to throw that out. We're just saying that most of these discussions we're having. There's pluses and minuses, and they need to be the messages need to be individualized, and there's more nuance once you start to dig down into the science. Yeah, you know that's that's really where we're we're at, and I understand that public health messaging needs to be clear and simple. You know, and they've done a fantastic job with the slip, slop, slap message. You know, even you and I can remember it. It's great, slip, slop, totally. slap. You know, yeah. really clever. But every time you you know um systems theory isn't it every time in a system you pull something one way all the other things move around you know every time you change something there is a consequence and I guess what we're looking at in this program we're just going to look at the other side the side that's less looked at and one possible consequence is that we're seeing lower vitamin d's in fact 60 percent of the world's population is now vitamin d deficient you know so we have to look at that and you can supplement with vitamin D, of course. So, you know, you don't have to go out and get skin cancer, but, you know, we need to test for it and think about it. So, yeah, let's look at vitamin D next week. That'll be great. On the Health Hacks program, we'll go with that name. Health Hacks sounds good. If anyone has a better idea, we'll look at it, but it has to be pretty good. And, Glenn, I'm looking forward to this because I can just feel that there'll be lots of really great information coming through that people can use, you know, they can actually use. And um, that's the sort I like. So thanks for coming back. And I look forward to next Wednesday's Health Hacks here on RCR with Dr. Glenn Davies. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you, Paul. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.